0: Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, a personal finance blogger right here in New Zealand. And in this podcast, I chat to a diverse bunch of people and I learn their story and I condense it down so that you can hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are sharing their experiences, their tips and their point of view on personal finance here in New Zealand. Now, generally for me, it's the smallest conversation that lights a spark and has me wanting to know more about a person. And this was the case with today's guest, Zoe. She emailed me with a question which I answered but what got me interested was how she managed to communicate in just a short email how financially assured this recently retired woman from Christchurch was as she actually begins to live off New Zealand superannuation plus the investments that she's built up. The thing was though, it was only more recently that she began to feel more financially confident as she only really started to pay attention to her putia or her money when she was in her late 50s, proving that it's never too late to take control of your finances. I speak with quite a number of older women about money and many feel they've left their run too late. So I thought having a chat with Zoe about how she handles her money was too good an opportunity to pass by. But before I jump into it though, I wanted to share a quick message from my fabulous sponsor, Pocketsmith. At the moment, it feels like my Pocketsmith budget is in a competition with itself. The cost of so many things that I track in my family's budget is rising, but now is also an excellent time to invest more money because the share markets are down and shares are on sale. Pocketsmith has taught me that what is measured is managed, and if I pay close attention at this time, I can find the right balance. By simply tracking what we earn and spend, I can create as big a gap between those numbers as possible. So that's exactly what I've been doing focusing on earning more, trimming our expenses and freeing up money that I can then invest. When I first began using Pocketsmith over three years ago, I never anticipated that it would help me navigate such a weird economic time. I honestly don't think I would feel so in control of our money without it. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. Go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver to get your deal. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Chatting to people for this podcast is a bit like lining up for a race, a bit of nervous anticipation for all parties, and then the starter gun goes off and we are off and racing and time passes far too quickly. When you give someone the go-ahead to say anything they like about money or ask any question of me that they like, They are straight into it, and Zoe was no exception to this. We all soon wonder why we were nervous in the first place. Zoe had been thinking about our upcoming conversation, including what I was to call her. Zoe is not her real name, but she loved the sound of it and thought it was fun to choose her own name, so Zoe it is. We spoke in late May of 2022, right when the share markets were more down than up, And she immediately began by saying that given that she has money invested now and she has begun drawing on this money fortnightly to supplement the New Zealand super, she's had a few jitters in the last couple of weeks. But to counteract that, she said she has been sternly talking to herself. She's done a lot of listening to finance-related content and a lot of learning just to shore herself up so that she stays on her course. Like I say, we were straight into it. Zoe was born in Aotearoa sometime around 1956 and is now 66 years old. She has been collecting a universal public pension payment, also known as New Zealand super, of just over $900 a fortnight since her 65th birthday. And for those listening who are not in New Zealand, our super is not means tested, we are all entitled to the same amount. She moved around with her family, living in a few other cities before settling down to live and raise a family and work in Canterbury and there was no specific financial education that she could recall. But she could see that her parents handled money well for her Fano, Her parents grew up in a working-class family, and they provided Zoe with a middle-class lifestyle. Her dad was good with money, and he did well in the share market, managing to pull money out before the 1987 share market crash. She was never sure if it was timing or luck, but given the fact that they were building a home at the time, it was possibly luck as they needed the money for the build. Her dad had a golden rule of he who holds the gold makes the rules and her mum, who was Scottish, fitted the stereotype of being thrifty and frugal, traits which she absolutely passed on to Zoe. She also used to say, take care of the pennies and the pounds will take care of themselves, a concept that Zoe only really took to heart later in life. Even way back when borrowing money was much harder to do, her dad observed that sometimes people look like they have money but it might be borrowed, and what you see on the surface is not always what it seems, and that is even more true today, I think. Given the era in which she was born, although her parents stressed that education was important because it gave you options in life, they didn't push her to attend university. She said there was more of a gender divide then, and boys went to uni, girls didn't. Thankfully, that is no longer the case. Options appeared limited, so she went into teaching instead. She was keen to work because she wanted money so she could buy the things that she saw and wanted, but she remembers feeling that she knew that money was important, but she didn't quite know how to get it. Her dad advised that teaching was a good move because it had equal pay, plus you get the school holidays off. However, it was not a profession that she really enjoyed. It was not the kids aspect, it was that she hated the system of primary schooling, and she didn't have the skills and or the ability to rise above it so she was permanently frustrated and unfulfilled. Despite her saying that money didn't flow her way easily, she had managed to save up $5,000 while working, and she desperately wanted to buy a gorgeous wee cottage for $18,000 in Fendleton Christchurch. But back then, banks didn't lend to single women, and what feels bizarre to us now, you needed either a husband or a male relative to sign for you to secure a loan. And to all the women and open-minded men who fought to change that, I say thank you. As part of her teacher training, she also tried some uni papers, but she failed those. And this led her to create a narrative in her mind that she was an academic failure. But reflecting back and being brutally honest with herself, she said it was actually down to the fact that she literally couldn't find the lecture for one particular paper, and overall, she just didn't put in the work. Now, Zoe is quite the straight talker, and because she couldn't quite work out how to increase the money coming in in her own right, she married it instead. Back in the day, she said, this was kind of normal. She was in love when married, but it made the match rosier and was certainly a bonus that he made good money. It was by no means a calculated match, but who knows what unconscious forces were at play, she said. They had a very comfortable lifestyle, and due to his good income, they lived in a beautiful house which I should point out her $5,000 paid for the deposit on. Zoe was really proud of that house because aesthetics are important to her and she has a strong need to have things that she considers beautiful surrounding her. Therefore, it was a pretty easy decision, a relief in a way, to give up primary school teaching work when their children arrived and focus on them and their needs and their beautiful home. When her youngest was born, she decided to study part-time, picking up a couple of university units here and there, And Zoe has continued to study throughout her life, completing a degree in her 30s plus ongoing education and has come to realise that the stories we tell ourselves about our own abilities are often a lie. It turns out she was quite the academic after all, especially when, as an adult, one who took the effort to find the lecture halls, that is, she did super well and always got really good marks. She was particularly interested in people, in feminist studies and psych-related studies, but well-meaning people advised her that she would never get a job with qualifications in those fields. Another narrative she needed to change, not letting the opinions of others overly influence what she wants to do. However, comfortable lifestyle or not, all was not well within her marriage. And when her children were six and nine years old, Zoe and her husband separated. She sounded like she was the person who called time on the marriage, meaning that she had time to think through the next steps. And she knew that making the decision to divorce Would have huge financial implications. And she really had to think could I survive on a significantly reduced income if I had to? And she came to decide that yes, she could. So they divorced in the early 1990s and there was a 50 50 split of their assets plus a weekly amount to support and raise their tamariki. But no provision was made about her receiving a portion of his future earnings. What the settlement enabled her to do was buy a freehold house in a nice area in the early 1990s. For $220,000. When she went shopping for a house, she knew to only look at houses she could pay cash for, and she stuck to that plan. But boy, did she mourn what she lost. She said she refused to bond with her new home for 10 long years, in fact, but has since made peace with it and loves her home today. Their divorce was private from both a legal and a personal aspect. People she knew were like, just don't go there and they barely acknowledged the divorce and had no idea how to be supportive. But times were so different then, she said. You just didn't sit down and talk about emotions and feelings. Heck no. She did go on to create a new group of firm friends who offered her emotional support, but still, money was not a topic that was ever openly discussed. Now, planning that career as she exited her marriage was really important, she said. By this time, she was in her final year of uni and was now eligible for a student allowance which was a big help, meaning she never had to go on what would have been called the DPB or Domestic Purposes Benefit. It was financially tough, but survivable, Zoe said. She realized that now that she was a single parent more than ever, she didn't want to work full-time, so she knew she had to find a career with a higher value hourly rate or salary to make up for the lack of working hours. As soon as she finished her study, she got a part-time job in an education-related field, And although she has come close to full time work, she has really only ever worked part time. Her ex husband continued on with his full time work, but she knew she would not have the energy to do the majority of the parenting if she also had to work full time. This all too common parenting compromise has reduced her income and her ability to save, and it has impacted her financial ability year after year. And Zoe has remained single, meaning that the buck stops with her as far as covering her weekly expenses and future retirement. I asked what advice she would give to women thinking of going through a divorce. In her very pleasantly blunt way, she said that it's the worst financial decision you can make, and she says to really think carefully about leaving and do everything you can to repair the marriage before pulling the plug. In her case, she feels her divorce was necessary, but she said ending her marriage and breaking the news to her tamariki was the worst of her life, and she said for the sake of your kids, you have to try to get on with your ex. She was mid-30s when she got divorced and it was a chance to reevaluate her whole life and to find out what she wanted and where she was going. So she changed everything about her life and part of that was her attitude to money and wealth. Unfortunately, it was not in a good way. The pendulum swung the other way, she said, developing and believing that money doesn't matter and becoming averse to the word wealth. She hates other people feeling entitled or deserved, and unfortunately she felt privileged and her money received from her divorce settlement didn't feel earned or deserved, acquiring it through a large dose of luck, she believed. Despite having lived a nice comfortable lifestyle, the concept of being wealthy just didn't appeal to her at all, and it had nothing but bad connotations. She didn't want to become this idea of a bad, grasping capitalist, only concerned with money. One thing that stuck out to me here is that although the husband brought in the income, she brought up the family and as such she was 100% part of the building of their combined wealth during the marriage, therefore coming out with her 50% shouldn't have been considered lucky because she earned it too. Although she had some money left over after she purchased her house, she didn't look after that money well at all, she didn't feel comfortable having that extra putia and because of that it all just slipped away it was, she said, part of her belief that the universe would provide. In hindsight, and it's one of the financial regrets she has, she wishes she felt more comfortable having that money and had the education and wisdom to invest it wisely. Now, I've met many women, with no offence to Zoe, with an airy-fairy view that they didn't need to be good managers of their own money because in times of need or want, the universe would provide. Instead of thinking, heck, the universe did just provide me with a financial settlement, that I should really use wisely and well. Sometimes the universe's way of providing means you end up with money created with a spouse that you no longer like, but it's still just money. It has not taken on the personality of that person. It's just money the universe has provided. So don't waste the opportunity. Post-divorce needs to be a time of absolute fiscal responsibility to get yourself back up on your feet, I believe. When I asked her what her elevator pitch in regards to money is now, Thankfully, it has changed, and it plays into what I just said. Zoe said money is neutral, neither good nor bad, and having enough gives you choices about how you can live your life, so it's okay to shepherd it well, so you can harness its power for yourself and others. There is no intrinsic virtue in being poor, she said. When she had to earn her own income, she made the absolute decision to do what she was passionate about, and a career in education, but not primary teaching, became her life's work allowing her to channel all of her energy into her career. It was her career and all the korero, resources, people and education that she was exposed to that helped her find her own way in life as a single parent. Divorce radically changed her lifestyle due to the severely decreased money that she did have coming in, but she slowly started to hate money less and what she began to learn was that money is a head game and it was getting her head around the fact that she could handle her own money which meant she could enjoy life too. She changed things up and she went from shopping in designer shops to thrift shops. She stopped buying books and went to the library instead. You have to pick your things and think of alternatives, she said. And after a time, it didn't feel like penance, it just felt like a different lifestyle. But it was still a lifestyle with a scarcity mindset and one where she barely had the money skills to navigate it. She reached back to the frugal training taught by her mum so that she could make her money stretch and begin to forge her way ahead. The money would come in, she would set money aside for bills, but anything left over was fair game and was spent. She didn't really know what to do with her income beyond paying her bills, and in a way she didn't really even want to know. Around that time though, someone said to her, write down where you are spending your money for a few weeks which is excellent advice for someone just starting to turn their attention to their money. But Zoe thought, I don't want to do that. She was content to put her head in the sand a while longer and continue with her earn-spend mindset. Now, in my mind, there are three big steps to make if you want to get ahead financially. And the first is facing up to your situation. The second is knowing in detail what you earn and what you spend. And the third step, I think, is a bigger one. And that is moving beyond just paying your bills. It's looking at what to do with that extra money that you have left over instead of just spending it. If you don't take that extra step, you are always going to be stuck in that earn-spend cycle. Zoe knows that many years pass by and she can't recall exactly what the catalyst was for finally getting her to take that second and then the third step. It might have been financial writer Mary Holmes speaking on RNZ. She has always had a regular segment talking about money. But around the year 2015, when she was in her late 50s, she started paying attention and she started to save. She began to vaguely seek out resources specifically about money and she read websites such as Mr. Money Mustache and books like Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin. She had a tentative go at budgeting her income and expenses. She began to save some of her take-home pay over and above what went into her KiwiSaver, which thankfully she had begun contributing to when the scheme began in 2007. She was just starting to nibble around the edges of what money meant to her, and she thought, I need to talk to a money person. She looked around for an advisor who offered a free initial chat, and she struck gold, coming across an advisor that I actually know, Sunny Bailey from Fairhaven Wealth in Christchurch. In a lucky break, she struck a fee-only, independent, authorised financial advisor, such a mouthful, Uh, which is more or less the only type of advisor worth your time. As soon as she met him, she was like, yes, this guy has similar values to me. He gets me. She was 61 years old when she sat down to chat with him. Now, I'm only mentioning him because I know you want to know. It's really frustrating when someone says, oh, I found this professional and they really helped me, but then they won't share who it was. But just be warned that he is not taking on any more clients and his rates have skyrocketed since the $280 fee Zoe paid back in 2017. However, he has created a website that is a source of free and incredibly well-researched and written information, and plus he emails out a newsletter that Zoe really enjoys, and you can find it at wealthandrisk.nz. Zoe relates to the way he writes, saying he writes really thoughtfully about money and finding your own philosophy to underpin your thinking about it, rather than just the facts and figures type articles. He created Zoe a tailored report based on her financial situation at that time and he gave her a variety of future projections based on a number of scenarios, which she still refers back to today, such as if she continued to work past 65 and if she were to receive an inheritance, for example. She owned her own home, which has, she said, a ridiculous current value of about $900,000, something she takes no pleasure in knowing. She has her KiwiSaver plus money in the bank. In total, her tailored report revealed that she had, in addition to her home, $210,000, the majority of which was in KiwiSaver. And he worked out that she would have around $250,000 invested at the retirement age of 65. Her KiwiSaver was her saving grace here. Now she knew her exact financial position. She had a plan on paper, someone else telling her she was on the right track and that she was making the right decisions. He encouraged her to put some money here, some money there, and how to plan for retirement. And all of this gave her an immense amount of confidence. She began looking ahead to retirement, and knew that she didn't want to try to just live on government superannuation alone, and nor would she have to. Having a plan meant that if she kept doing what she was doing, she could relax, knowing that she had time to create a bigger nest egg to top up her fortnightly superpayments when the time came. He helped her develop her knowledge to the point that when she actually did receive a $100,000 inheritance after the death of her parents, she knew exactly where to put it. There was to be no more frittering money away. Because women have interrupted careers to care for children, unless you make voluntary contributions to investments, including KiwiSaver, in keeping with when you were employed, we simply don't have the same amount going into retirement funds as our working spouse. So this money gifted by her parents It really helped level her up and get caught up with retirement preparedness. She also finally knuckled down on honing her budgeting skills. She spent a weekend looking at what she had and what she earned and spent, trying to work out if she had enough coming in to cover her life. She found herself tweaking and adjusting her spending habits. She realized her mistake of letting that money slip through her fingers from her divorce, realizing that had it been invested somewhere, it would have compounded and grown over the intervening years, substantially adding to her retirement savings. She now banks with New Zealand-owned Kiwi Bank, it was important to her to be with a New Zealand bank, and she logs in every single day, meaning that she gets to touch each transaction, which I think is key in keeping an eye on your spending and earning, and as she's pointed out, it's like her mum said, watch the pennies and the pounds will save themselves. Her bank offers a heap of free accounts and at any one time she'll have 10 to 15 on the go. She has an aversion to spreadsheets, she said, and has no need for them when her accounts are neatly named and organised in her banking app. She does use a credit card to collect airpoints, but given she is a low spender, she seriously wonders if it's even worth it, given that she moves money from each sub-account onto her credit card each time she makes a transaction, which sounds like quite the hassle to me. Her income goes into her everyday checking account and from there it is transferred out, either manually or by auto transfers, that she is set up to different accounts, each of which serves a different purpose. It's like the old envelope system people used to use back when we dealt almost entirely in cash. She looked at her annual total bill for firewood, for example, let's say it was $500 a year, and she broke it down into 52 weeks, which is $9.61 a week, This is the amount she automatically transferred weekly to her Firewood bank account, meaning that when it was time to order in her winter wood, the money was there to pay in full. The account, which is often referred to as a sinking fund, then just replenishes itself over the coming year, week by week. Creating this system absolutely worked for Zoe, and I actually employ the same system myself. It just prevents bill shock, that is, the large bill arriving that you have to scrabble around and pay for. For most of us, we know what bills are coming our way over the course of a year, so sinking funds just let you plan for them. She has bank accounts for all sorts of things like clothes and groceries, she spends about $100 a week on groceries if you're interested, furniture, insurance, rates, having fun and power bills. She always gives the account a name so at a glance she can see its purpose and by naming it you are much more likely to put extra money in to get to your goal faster and you are much less likely to steal from that account and fritter that money away. Now Zoe really got started with this budgeting system in her late 50s, proving that any age is a good age to take ownership of your putia. She now feels so much more in control of her money. It's marvellous, she said, and it has also revolutionised her ability to save. Prior to this, Zoe was like many people, always good at paying her bills, never falling behind and good at being relatively frugal, but never managed to pay herself first. By which I mean to invest money for her future, and that meant any surplus money at the end of each week or month was fair game, and it was always spent. She could always create a surplus she found, but the crucial thing was that until her late fifties, she didn't know how to keep it and grow it. Before then, for all those years, her mindset was stuck on a loop of people who have money are nasty capitalists, and the thought of creating wealth for herself had a bad feeling about it. Because of the Christchurch earthquakes, which began in September of 2010 and caused huge damage to pretty much every single fare in Ōtautahi, which is Christchurch, she eventually received a lump sum payment of $50,000, stress testing her, people who have money are nasty capitalist mentality. She really needed to switch her thinking and not waste this opportunity or she could see this money being fritted away as well. For her to feel comfortable having money and wealth she had to find ways to invest that felt okay to her. Her financial advisor had encouraged her to move her KiwiSaver to the provider simplicity which she did because she liked the CEO Sam Stubbs from the get-go because he operates a values-driven company she said which she felt good about investing with. She also began to invest in their managed funds and today she has about $180,000 in a balanced investment fund and $100,000 in the conservative KiwiSaver fund. And more recently, because she has money that she won't need to access for more than 10 years, she has also added a growth investment fund, which now has a balance of around $100,000. Now, whenever a lump sum of money comes her way that she doesn't need in the short term in one of her many bank accounts, she invests it in her managed funds, and has been consistently doing so for about five years. She also still seeks out the considered opinion of her financial advisor, an expert when it comes to these big financial decisions, which is a radical improvement in behavior which has only come about because she now understands how to manage her money. Zoe shared with me that she earned an after-tax annual income of $46,436 or $893 per week. She has never earned a huge income because she always worked part-time. She had the advantage of being able to earn less too because she has never needed to pay a mortgage or pay rent, which is a key part of her success, and why you will so often hear it said that you just can't head into retirement with big bills like these. From this income, she was able to save and invest $250 a week, which over a year comes to $13,000, and she was putting this money straight into her investments. And a tip for those fretting about the current market dips, which she was, Zoe said, Don't look at the last six depressing months, look back five years and beyond because over time you will see that the market goes up. When a KiwiSaver provider offers a roadshow or puts out useful content, she watches and she learns from it, which calms her and gives her the confidence in her investment approach. And I like this about her. She also looks back to where she started and just how far she has come and the increases she has enjoyed over the last seven plus years. For those heading for retirement, there is no sign that we are going to return to the previous days of just investing our money in high-interest term deposits that we roll over again and again spending the income they generate. We are going to have to be more like Zoe and learn a new way to invest for retirement that we understand and feel happy with. Zoe ended up working an extra year after she turned 65, but she cut her hours back during that year. She also dropped her spending as much as she could so she could save even more in her final year. And working that extra year, it enabled her to create enough income to get stuff done on the house, and she had it double-glazed and painted. During that time, she was able to live on a super payment alone. Ultimately, Zoe managed to beat her financial advisor's projections of $250,000. When she stopped work, she had about $400,000 due in part to that $100,000 inheritance her money is spread across her simplicity investments plus some money in the bank. So the big question for many is how do you draw an income from your investments in retirement so you can top up your superannuation payment and make your money last? Now I'll switch to talking about fortnights now because that is when her government super is paid. Every other Tuesday she gets $918 except during winter months when it's increased to $966 a fortnight which is due to the five months of winter energy payment, which is an additional $20 a week. She has budgeted her expenses for a number of years now, so she knows that she can live comfortably on $1,600 or less per fortnight, meaning that there is a shortfall between her super income and her expenditure of $634 a fortnight. So on the same day that her super arrives in her bank account, she has been taking $700 out of her Conservative Simplicity KiwiSaver fund, giving her a fortnightly total income of $1,666. Then her same budgeting practices apply, and these two payments are just handled like normal income, where she sends it off to her various bank accounts. But she had a few other irons in the fire with her money that she shared with me. About 18 months ago, she had given $40,000 to one of her children Who had some ideas about how to invest for her, and what exactly she was not quite sure. But its value has apparently gone up. Since then, she has received twenty-five thousand dollars of this money back, and it's sitting in her bank account. The remaining fifteen thousand dollars plus earnings will come her way at a later date, hopefully. Now, I'm not going to lie; this concerned me greatly, and no offence to her child but I would strongly, strongly encourage anyone thinking of doing the same to run this type of investment past an independent third party, such as a financial advisor or a friend with common sense, before proceeding. These loose arrangements are fraught with issues if they go sour. Not only that, up until this point, Zoe was investing and understanding what she was investing in, yet here she has taken a huge step into the unknown. She also took out $20,000 from her conservative fund when the stock market was high because she had plans to buy a new car and was feeling enticed by the recent rebates being offered on EVs. Getting a rebate gave her that feeling of saving and Zoe loves a bargain, that's for sure. After the rebate, this new car would cost her $42,000 which equates to 10% of her investments being spent on a car. Owning one aligned with her environmental stance And she basically fancied a new car, never having had one before. She paid a $1,000 deposit and planned to use some of the money she lent her child to pay the remainder, and it's due to arrive near the end of the year. But when we spoke, she was getting cold feet about this large purchase. We talked a lot about this new car, and I can see the lure of buying new, having done it myself in the past. It felt a bit like shiny object syndrome. But I love the fact that due to lack of supply, there is this cooling off period. And after we chatted, she said she had actually looked into reneging on her contract, so it'll be interesting to see what she does here. A bit of well time reading also added to our conversation and her future plans. She was reading Cracking Open the Nest Egg, the latest book by Martin Hawes, and one which is aimed squarely at Zoe, people who are easing themselves into retirement and working out how to make good financial decisions as they go. She had also been reading content by Liz Coe, who is another Kiwi that she can really relate to. Martin talks about having a lake of money sitting in your bank, a sum that represents months or years of expenses that you draw from to top up your pension when the share markets are down, meaning that you can just leave your investments alone and in time the markets will recover. Zoe realised this $45,000 made up of the car and random investment money was actually her lake of money, and it has her thinking. So for now, she has stopped withdrawing her $700 a fortnight from simplicity, thereby avoiding selling in a down market, which she had felt quite concerned about doing, and started biting into that $45,000 instead. She has also tightened up her spending at the moment too, and she draws just $500 a fortnight from it. When you have a limited income, she said, You can't spend on everything you have to prioritise, so she just cuts the things she knows she can go without, leaving her money to pay for things that are important to her. She's very mindful to be frugal and not cheap or a tightwad, so she still prioritises regularly giving money to charities that she supports. As for the car, she still has four to five months to make a decision on whether she proceeds with the sale. As her financial advisor showed her, in times like these you can run a few scenarios, And she said that both before and after retirement, she did spend a lot of time mucking around with the 4% rule and other retirement calculators, and she enjoys the good conversations and thoughts about money and savings that can be found on the Kiwi Mustachians Facebook group, which helped shape her decision-making. And it got her thinking that this $45,000 lake of money would last for the next 180 weeks or three and a half years. If she bought the car, that money will be gone and she will need to start to sell units in her fund, regardless of what the share markets are doing, to top up her spending. Now Zoe was fine when the share market dropped back in March of 2020. She didn't blink, she said, so she was quite surprised at how worried she felt this time. But now that she has this lake of cash, or an emergency fund, she is feeling much more comfortable. What she has ultimately decided is that at 66, she probably has 10 good years of continuing good health and the ability to do things. She doesn't want to live in a fair-based way, but she can spend a little more in the early years of retirement now, which would use up her money a bit quicker. But after those 10 years, she thinks she would have reduced living expenses due to doing less and would be okay to live on super. Well, that's one scenario at least, but all plans are fluid, she said. We chatted about her home, with its current value of about $900,000, it represents the majority of her net worth, yet it pays her nothing. I thought I'd throw a cat amongst the pigeons when I wondered out loud if she saw any way around this. At first take she has looked into reverse mortgages but has dismissed it, and she doesn't want to downsize as she is fussy about the type of home she lives in and where it is located. But just like she is starting to sell off investments to fund her lifestyle, why, I asked, is the value of her home not part of that equation too? My take on it was to downsize while she can and release equity that can then be used to fund a more lavish retirement. She is so busy focusing on saving cents in her budget while she has this huge asset all tied up. That $46,000 car she wanted wouldn't feel anywhere near as excessive if she had six hundred to $700,000 invested instead of $400,000. This is the ongoing problem with our high house prices and our attachment to bricks and mortar. They make a large chunk of your net worth unusable. Our conversation had her thinking long after we ended our call. After our korero, she had a look at properties for sale online and found it most depressing indeed, she said. From her brief research, she could see that kitchens in smaller homes are depressingly small. Does no one cook these days, she asked. But she said, Ruth, you have seriously got me thinking. And I'm now sure that she can add releasing equity by downsizing her home into a scenario or two. It's something to ponder. So righto, time for a few questions. I asked Zoe what she considered to be her biggest financial triumph. It was working out that really good budgeting system for herself so that she pretty much never has to worry about bills etc because money is allocated for all things in her life and that gives her a feeling of empowerment. She said don't think of budgeting as deprivation, think of it as direction. Now I'll chip in here by saying that budgeting works so stop putting off starting one. All you need is a pen and paper and your banking transactions to make a start. How about her greatest financial flop? Besides a divorce, which is a surefire way to halve your net worth and a future earning potential, it was letting money slip through her fingers for so long, 30 plus years in fact, but she didn't realise about compounding interest and investing, and she didn't know how helpful that money would have been at this stage in her life. In regards to working, she has quit for now, but throughout her career she has developed skills and abilities via many years of personal development and study that are still sought after. So stopping work for now does not mean she has stopped work for good. And she has a few irons in the fire about picking up some part-time gigs in the education sector in the months and years ahead. And the money she gets from these things will supplement her travel fund. She actually had a bit of a win which relates to stopping work. She had overpaid her tax and received a $500 tax refund on the day we spoke, which is a nice surprise to receive and one that she will instantly allocate to her bank accounts, I'm sure. In an effort to find the easy savings, Zoe did mention that she is eligible to receive a community services card, which would entitle her to a reduction in the cost of some health services and prescriptions, something well worth doing if you qualify to do so. And what about the most extravagant thing she has purchased for herself in the last 90 days? Well, apart from putting a $1,000 deposit on an electric car which may or may not eventuate, she bought a top brand New Zealand designer wool jumper from an op shop and was pretty chuffed with her purchase. Righto, it's time to wrap up now, but before I do, I've just got another quick message from the sponsor of today's show. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the Happy Saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the Happy Saver. Thanks firstly go to Zoe for chatting with me. It was the briefest email that made me want to speak with her and I'm so pleased that my spidery sense for good korero was right. It was a fascinating insight into her struggle to find herself worthy of wealth and interesting to hear the scenarios she is playing out for the years ahead and the daily tweaks she is making with her money to steer her right. It made me want to say to others, particularly women listening to this, Please stop with the emotional baggage around money. It's a girl thing and it's not serving us. Just let it go. Please cease telling yourself, I've never been any good with money. Because that's a lie. You do what you do with the information you have at the time. If money is not working for you, enough of the excuses. Go and find new information, just as Zoe has done. You are unique and fabulous, that's for sure. But it doesn't give you a pass on managing your own money. And the fact that you are listening to this podcast means that you are on the brink or maybe have already discovered the unique rituals and systems around money that do work for you. So keep learning until you find them. All it takes is a decision to change. And that's what Zoe did late in her 50s. She had mastered her career and lived what sounded like a very full life. It was just the money part that she was still struggling with, but no longer is and it was very inspiring to hear her confidence shine through. So many things hit home with me in our chat, and one is that you can get things wrong with money for a very long time, but then completely change your financial future in the shortest time. It's been seven years at most since she went from always paying all her bills, but not setting much aside, to retiring with $400,000 invested. The second point is, please don't discount KiwiSaver. If you are not in it, please join a fund today. Even if you are not yet tuned into your money, one day when you are, you will be so pleased that you started the single investment up. Even while Zoe was meandering her way through life financially, from 2007 she contributed to a fund and this has made a substantial difference to the retirement savings that she has today. Remember too, that the only thing that changes with KiwiSaver when you turn 65 is that you can now access it And you no longer get the government top up each year because you get super instead. KiwiSaver is, as Zoe will attest, an excellent investment vehicle. The third thing that stood out to me is much more general. In my mind, we have a problem in society that we are not all encouraged to give money the respect and the time it needs. We have made a simple thing unbelievably complex. Its daily use is rarely mentioned, or if it is, it's in a negative way. Yet getting money is a daily pursuit for the majority of people. Earning and spending is complicated and different for everyone. We are all just expected to know how it works, but none of us does without education. Now, I've created 60 plus episodes where I just talk to regular Kiwis about how they manage their putia, and for those who succeed in building wealth, each of them ended up stumbling across more or less the same information to which they then added their own tweaks, but it's some sort of variation on this list. Know your net worth and track it monthly, budget your income and your expenditure, have an emergency fund, a cash buffer to lessen your stressing. join KiwiSaver, become debt-free, and invest whenever you can for as long as you can. Zoe does not want you to have to spend year after year trying to work out things that others worked out long ago, like she had to. When each Kiwi has to keep reinventing the wheel, it's simply exhausting. So my point is that we have to help each other get the basics right early in life. Then they can build upon that foundation. It just comes down to sharing what you have learned with your nearest and dearest. So that is all for this episode and I sincerely hope that Zoe has helped you today. As a lifelong educator, I know that is what she wanted to do. And as always, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please do hit subscribe and it will automatically update your podcast app each time I release a new episode. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me at thehappysaver.com. And if you feel inclined, I would love it if you could leave me a nice review wherever you are listening to this episode. And please do share this with your friends, it's the best way that people can learn about my podcast. And finally, most of all, I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and fano, and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving.